And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 79 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, May 18th, 2015. Okay, folks, it's a week for the old guys. So, of course, American Idol, the second-to-last season of American Idol anyway, elected this year's winner Nick Fradiani, the oldest contestant in the bunch, and the second by a couple of months, and here's looking at you, Taylor Hicks, oldest winner in Idol history, proving that even at the advanced age of 29, people can still sing. Then, if you didn't see it, former presidential candidate and perennial wannabe president Mitt Romney went toe-to-toe in a boxing match with former heavyweight Evander Holyfield. It was a fight of two old guys that saw more action than Pacquiao Mayweather. Went for two rounds before Romney threw in the towel, quite literally and figuratively. And then, of course, this week marks when that famous old guy, comedy legend, and resident curmudgeon David Letterman will bid farewell to his 33-year-old talk show. And in the spirit of Letterman, the number one reason we'll miss David Letterman, he was doing top 10 blog post lists before the internet was even invented. But folks, we're still here, Joe and I, two old guys. And yeah, Joe now qualifies now with his recent birthday. We're two old guys here for you. We're young at heart, slightly older in other places. Our favorite software is the cool side of the pillow. It takes us longer to rest than it does to get tired. We're here to bring you the news and be snarky, and because, as they say, you're only young once, but you can be immature forever. We're here to bring you the rants, the raves, and tell you to get off our content marketing lawn. That's right, we're here, inside and recording our podcast for you. No reruns here. We spend the time in our little studios. Why? Well, because at our age, our back goes out more than we do. We're the guys who drank tab as a kid. We know what garanimals are. We're the guys who wore stonewashed Jordache jeans. We know all the words to We Are the World, and we remember Where's the Beef? And most of all... We accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. You can see us as you want to see us. In the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions, you see us as as a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, or a criminal. So let's get these cathode tubes warmed up, and let's get that TV picture tuned in, and let's hit play on the cassette tape, and let the leader run. Let's put the needle on the record and get this joint going. And for that, it's time for me to introduce my co-host, my friend, my colleague, and the John Bender of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? That's a great compliment, the John Bender of content marketing. How do you like that? That that one I was really proud of. I'll take that, and I'll take a can of tab, and I'll be happy. (laughs) (laughs) So you're coming to, to uh, our, my neck of the woods here. I am Next. indeed. I'll be in Cleveland all this week, I, starting tomorrow, and I'll be there through Friday. And and it's funny, because you come into town and I leave. Yeah. Which is, what's up with <laughs> well, that? Isn't that the way, right? Yeah, I'll be in Raleigh this week for the AMA meeting there. So, But I'll be back to see you, of course. But Yeah, that's right. Give you a you know proper send-off and whatnot. So. We'll have a no, I, I'll tell you a quick report. story, which I thought was interesting. So I, I did my fifth half marathon yesterday. So I, did I saw that. Half, I saw that. See that? Facebook. The pictures were on that? Yeah. Uh, and I and I had a goal, and I almost missed the goal. So I don't know if you saw my little uh, Facebook update. Didn't but. you finish like like? I mean, was it serious that you finished like you know close to the front, right? So I'm I'm you know I'm I'm already exhausted. So I, I lost my legs about mile nine, and I'm coming in here. And so you, you just come down the shore away, and there's the finish line, and everybody's lined up, and it's great. And I'm doing the best I can with what legs I have left, and people are really starting to cheer. And I'm like, they can't be cheering for me. 
I mean, this is like, <laughs> realize that just coming down on my left side is the the marathon uh, first place runner, whatever the case is. So the per- person that's going to win the marathon, and I'm like, everybody's screaming, and here comes the marathon, whatever. And I'm like, oh, man, I thought that they were cheering for me. But they're Aww. not. But I did end up finishing before, so I have that on my resume. So, so basically, you finished... Just in front of you ran a half marathon I ran, at the same time I, that the person who yes, won the marathon. Let's all ran put it. that in perspective. <laughs> yeah, I ran thirteen point sure. two miles in the same <laughs> right. amount of time. That the marathon. Say, thir- I'm sorry, thirteen point one miles in the same. She amount ran twenty six miles. Twenty six point two. I know, but boy, I dusted that person. Nothing on me <laughs> by eight seconds. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, anyways, my fr- oh, I do need to. Um, Actually, Kathy McPhillips, who's been on our case about saying, you know, and we've been talking about, hey, can we give the PNR listeners anything fantastic? Some up love, with, man. I know. Some love. Let me show a little bit of love content, for content marketing, marketing world. world. Love. And uh, we wanted to tell everyone PNR. So PNR, all caps, that is the coupon code. So if you want to come to Content Marketing World, especially before the end of the month, because once, right now until the end of May, uh, there's a $500, you basically get $500 off. So if you're going to sign up for Content Marketing World, now is the time. But if you want a little extra loving, you a can get $100 a hundred dollars extra Mick off. Lovin', if you will. I know. A little Mick Lovin' from Joe McPolizzi. <laughs> <laughs> a little, uh, yes, exactly. So PNR is the coupon code. So if you're going to sign up, you get all the savings before the end of May, and you get the extra PNR love. And uh, we definitely want our listeners to contribute into that. And uh, we want to see a content marketing world. So yes, just want to throw that yes, out we there. Do. We'll put it in the show notes, but PNR. So sign up in the next couple of weeks and uh, and get your extra discount. Very nice. Very nice. And before we start with the news, I will also add one correction that we need to remediate right away. Jim Young, at Bronto Jim on Twitter. So please follow him. Good follow, follow guy there. Give him a big shout out. We, uh, last week, I believe it was, talked about NFL Films. Or was it two weeks ago? It was, I think it was I two, think weeks, two ago. weeks ago. Yeah. NFL Films for our This Old Marketing example. And we get a lot of show ideas, folks. And his was a great one. And we forgot to give him a shout out. And so we want to make sure to um, fix that. So thank you. Thank you so much, Jim. Um, it is a pleasure to have you as a listener of the show. And thank you so much for that great and and i got did you know i get i got to meet jim when i was at authority 2015 last week yeah my invitation must have got lost in the mail i saw all the people there there was brogan was there you were there brian clark was there lee odin was there and i'm guess my invitation hi brian might have got lost in the mail i'm not sure why i didn't get to go well you know what they did there was this list out on the top 10 marketing thought leaders (laughs) of like all time or something and and those 10 people didn't get invited for some ungodly reason i don't know why Moving on to the news <laughs> for crying out loud. Okay, so uh, first news up. Money, 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 money. Uh, but really? So two uh, companies this last week, Percolate and Capost, got big checks. Percolate, in this uh, news article that we'll link to in the show notes, of course, comes to us courtesy of CMS Wire. But, of course, it's all over the Internet where Percolate has caught the attention again uh, of those and gotten their C round of financing for 40 million schmackaroos, folks. 40 million bucks. What are they going to do with all that spending money? Um, and then Capost, 
the editorial calendaring workflow solution, and now all things marketing content. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, got a $10 million check um, from uh, from a bunch of people, uh, including Access Venture Partners, Q-Ball Partners, Iron Gate Capital, Salesforce Ventures, and probably somebody's parents. I don't know. So a lot of a lot of people <laughs> in that list there. But I think what I want to talk about, Joe, is this is is sort of an interesting thing that sort of struck me in reading both of the releases here. And I want to get your take on this, which was in both cases, it seems that, you know, when Percolate came out and sort of announced their funding, they said, look, we're trying to be the system record of marketing or the marketing, you know, the marketing uh, record for, for, you know, the systems of record. And Kapost came out with a post and Toby actually wrote the post, the CEO of the company, to say – you know, content marketing, I don't still don't get it that there's a consensus here. And he says, what is content marketing? I've been working here for years and there's no consensus here. So eh, we're going to give up on it. and We're actually going to call it marketing content and work on the whole process of, you know, working being a business process tool for for marketing content. So it seems like these guys are getting big checks and then sort of saying, yeah, content marketing's too small an idea for us. I mean, what, what did you think about this? My thoughts are on many levels. <laughs> I do want to talk about the marketing content thing because I, I want to talk about Toby. That is Toby. always true. That is always talk, true. I want to talk about Toby's article. I, I guess I wanted to ask because in the percolate – because I, I went to a couple articles about it and I'm sure it's all the same thing. I, I don't really understand. Can you explain to me the system of record? Because here's the quote. Um from from Percolate, basically, the chief marketing officer is the only member of the C-suite that does not have a system of record that can turn to a board, uh, turn turn to a meeting board meeting and show that they've been doing for the last three months. That's I right. Mean, so, so explain and that yet, from your. I mean, you come I, from I can. This side. I can. So let me be very clear. This is not a new concept. When I was seeking venture funding back in 2002 for a web content management software company, this was, remember, right out of the dot-com bubble, and it was when web content management was the big sexy thing that was out there, um, and it was even really before the marketing automation solutions had, had started to, to come up. Everybody was talking about how web content management was going to be marketing system of record. It was basically going to be a way for marketers to manage content in digital channels. And at that point, it was really just the website. And this was going to be their method of sort of tracking um, the action of what they were doing and creating marketing results in combination, by the way, with analytics and integration and all of that sort of thing. Then came along marketing automation systems. Which were, you know, most primarily you had Eloqua and you had Marketo and you have, uh, at this point, HubSpot and you had a number of them that sort of came up through the mid-2000s. And the venture capital people, again, said marketing needs a system of record. And so the marketing automation system with its database and lead nurturing capabilities and integration with CRM systems was going to be the marketing system of record. And now here we go again with this solution once again becoming the talk of the marketing system of record. And what what they really mean by that is some sort of data-focused platform, a platform by which marketing can point to and say, this is the metric of our success. So for sales forever, it's been the CRM system and the Salesforce automation system. So read into that, salesforce.com or NetSuite or 
any of those, Siebel in many cases, where how many leads we're putting through, what are the value of those customers, what is the lifetime value of that customer can be measured. And that becomes sort of the customer system of record. And the mark, the idea of the marketing system of record is sort of that idea. I, it, I haven't seen it sort of flower yet, and I don't expect it to now. I, I don't know if I – mean, and, and there's no problem with it. I don't have an issue with how they presented it, but I don't know if our goal is to make sure that there is a system of record. I think we're trying to show that there's value. Well, that yes, there's that. So is that what was, maybe that's that. the what they point. What is, is, is that the, the system of record is meant to be the tool by which we show that value. Understood. And I just don't think there can be one tool that can do it. I don't think you know. It's sort of this is the one ring to fit them all. Sort of the Lord of the Rings of trying to figure out which technology <laughs> solution is going to be the one that we can throw into the fire of Mordor. And and you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm belaboring that metaphor a bit. But the point being. I don't think there are going to be one solution here that does that because it hasn't come up yet, and I don't expect it to now. I, don't, I, I totally get, by the way, why they did it, why they're saying that. Because when you take 40-plus million dollars, you now have to expand your remit as a solution way wider than, than what was previously there, right? So Percolate can no longer be a social media tool. It has to be something much broader. It has to be covering marketing automation. It's going to have to get into email and content and different channel management and, and all of the different things that they have to do now and displace many solutions in enterprises. So they're going from a sort of blue ocean, you can do this really cool new thing with our solution to a, well, you're going to replace X and Y and Z with our solution. And I think it's a much it's a much tougher road, but they have to go wider in order to do it. Well, that's where I think the Kapos deal is interesting because Kapos was one of the first players out there that actually said, we are a content marketing software platform. Yeah, it still says it on various. It still says it. Website. Yeah, I mean, we're on the yeah. site right now. We're looking at it. That's what it says. But uh, it's almost like uh, you know Toby Murdoch, who we know very well, has been a friend of CMI for a long time, and comes sort of comes out with his Jerry Maguire mission statement and says, you know what, we're going bigger than content marketing. We're going marketing content, which. I yeah, know you web, have a take on it. I would love content <laughs> management, right? I mean, that's web content management. It's been around. I, my only challenge with the Capost thing is, I, I I don't know where to put them now. You know, it was it was easy to think about them as a as a content marketing solution if you even believe, and we've talked about this on the show before, that there is such a thing as a content marketing specific technology. But it was easy at least to say, okay, who am I comparing you to here? Now, with marketing content, without understanding the sort of product roadmap, I don't even know where to put them. Are they going to go down web content management and try and compete with, you know, Adobe CQ5 and Sitecore and Joomla and Drupal and all that? Or are they going to go down the marketing automation road? And try and compete with Marketo and Eloqua and and you know the Oracle stack now and OpenText and Site you know all that or are they going to sort of think of themselves as something different? I mean, I'm not even sure which analyst for Forrester or Gardner they will call. Yeah, so so the part of it, especially when they're getting into marketing content, you know, they say pr- basically product marketing and field marketing assets like sales decks, white papers, competitive battle cards, product one pagers. You're saying that right now that's a CMS. Mostly, that's a content management system. It is now, I, as I've said also on the show, I don't think CMS systems do all that great a job with it. So I could absolutely see them becoming the business process management um, of content as sort of the you know sort of underlying plumbing of how content is supposed to work. Now, 
that's what web content management, enterprise level web content management, is supposed to do. If you look at the workflow engines that many of those systems have, um, including all the ones that were aforementioned, they all have that workflow capability. And I've talked before in blog posts and on this show about how I'm baffled that none of them have added things like editorial calendaring and more collaborative type tools that where the marketing.ais and DiviHQs and Caposts are sort of coming in and drinking their milkshake. But I, but I don't see the other way around. In other words, I can't, it's, it's hard for me to grasp and, and, and look, my brain is small, so I could definitely not be getting this. But I, it, 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 it strikes me very difficult to see how Kapost goes the other way and tries to compete with the enterprise class systems that are already present in, in many of those enterprises. I mean, the only and, and you know my concerns with the the article, and I actually commented on Toby's post and said, "Yeah, congratulations!" And yeah, congratulations to both Capost and Percolate. Absolutely. This is great yeah, for the I mean, industry. It's hard to do. I it's love hard, what's going hard thing on. To do. And I, I guess my problem with the positioning of content marketing, as, to, as Toby makes it, is he says, first of all, this it's a top of the funnel practice, which of course we know is just partially true. Yes, it is. But what I tell Toby is, you know. Content marketing earned its stripes in loyalty marketing, so right. it's that's exactly. after purchase is where most of the time was where you'll see content marketing at least historically. And the second thing is is that it's he says it's a new marketing practice, which you know in your words it may be a new muscle that market or a muscle that is atrophied in organizations, but it is not a new thing or a new practice that's been going that's on right. for hundreds of years. So that's right. You know, other than that, I mean. If if they feel that marketing content is the way that they need to position the company to go after new areas, which, of course, when you get that much money, that's what you're going to do. I get that. Um, but and I just wanted to make the clarification that it I is just, not new. It is yeah, not a new thing. I mean, you know, here, here's the thing, I guess, that uh, confused – and I didn't uh, comment on the blog post, but – the, the thing that confused me is I get the need to expand, right? I get the need with funding to sort of open up your future to a wider top of the funnel or a wider sort of uh, strategy that you want to start to cover. I'm not sure why you have to burn the bridge behind you. You know what I mean? I, I, I get why they say, look, we're not only going to – even if you had said, look, content marketing for us is top of the funnel to the middle of the funnel and that's what we're going to focus on, but – we're all going to widen our we're going to widen our remit to also cover marketing content to cover the full process. You know, in other words, why is it a, an either or instead of an and um, in that in, in those two? Do you really ideas? think? I, yeah, I guess I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he, if they are really burning the bridge there. I mean, I really I think they're trying to say there's an and, and maybe we just aren't reading it right. Maybe, maybe that's. I mean, that's. For sure, possible. Because I mean, really, we would like to get money, continued money and support from Kapostin and from Percolate. If that would be great. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, we love you guys. But hey, this we, segment we tell to the truth here. Marketing calendaring. This tools. is not a sponsor. Marketing calendaring tools for this your is not, everyday yeah, this needs. Is not native, this is not native advertising here. We're telling <laughs> the truth. But we, yeah, we'd like to be friends. No, in all seriousness, no. I think this is great for the industry. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, but it's in, but to your point, I think what, here's what we're going to continue to see for everyone listening to this is that the more and more money that comes into this area where companies have historically said that they are content marketing software platform, collaboration tool, whatever the case is, they're going to have to say that it's more or they're going to want to say that it's more so that they can open themselves up to new op- to as many opportunities as possible. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. 
Absolutely. All right, moving on to our next story. And a topic that we've talked about before, our beloved Facebook, and this courtesy of the New York Times, and the headline is, Why Facebook's New Experiment Matters to Readers. Um, And the article starts off by saying, everybody involved recognizes that the shift is already well underway. The front page of a newspaper, the cover of a magazine, they've lost their dominance long ago, web homepages are following suit, and increasingly, articles, videos, photographs, graphics that media organizations publish are standalone fragments that readers happen upon one at a time, often on social media, and then uh, makes the comparison. It's similar to what happened to musicians when iTunes started selling individual songs instead of albums. Then the article goes on to talk about how kind of back and forth in a way, this idea of what's happening with New York Times and a few other publishing partners to start with, and certainly more to come, publishing there and building their sort of presence on Facebook and moving their articles to be read on and through Facebook, as opposed to the destination websites themselves. And as the chief executive of Simple Reach was quoted as saying, in an analog world, you had to think of newspapers as a collection of stories which provides publishers and marketers with online metrics. That's how it was packaged and distributed and sold, and now we're in this new world. I have a take on this, but I wanted – what do you think, Joe? I mean, what, what did you think about this article and, and, and sort of how it was positioning sort of this idea of the fragmentation of, of news stories? Well, the fragmentation is, is one thing. I, the one thing that just – it just hit me right off the bat. The second sentence in this – from the author who's Claire Kane Miller from uh, New York Times. Right. It says, it is about who owns the relationship with the readers. Well, I think we've all grown up enough to know that no one owns the relationship with the readers. Right. Uh, Hopefully, we'll create valuable quality information so that we can rent some of their time. It's not about ownership. It's about control of, of the content, I think, more than anything else, and control of some of the experience. But I, it's not ownership, so that just throws me. I mean, Jeff Rohr is a good friend of ours at Salesforce.com. He wrote a you know, f- you know fantastic book around audience. He always talks about the fact that we don't own a relationship with readers. They can turn us off at any time. So that sort of threw me for a loop. And then I'm trying to think about you know what is this thing happening, and it takes me back into the to the day. I think it was like probably 2001, 2002, 2003 when I was at Penton Media and. You know the publishers; they didn't know how to feel about Google at the time. But what happened is, is that at first, when Google came to the publishers and said, "Hey, we want to have a relationship with you," everyone was like, "No." And then when Google figured out the algorithm, when they started to send them enough traffic, everyone was like, "How can we, you know, for lack of a better phrase, get into bed more with Google because <laughs> right. we want to get more of this?" And what's so interesting is Facebook's done the same thing because even the article says how dependent. Some of these publishers are now because they base their entire business models and eyeballs on the fact that they're getting traffic from Facebook. Yeah. So they, a lot of them have put themselves in a hole and they're like, well, we're already, you know, not that Facebook is the devil, but we're already signed up with the devil. What are we going to do? We're going to have to go <laughs> this direction. And it's just interesting to see that, yes, it's happened again. And it's, you know, from Google and then Facebook standpoint, it's brilliant. It's almost like Facebook followed Google's playbook to a T. And they've said, this is how we do it. Just get them going so we can send enough traffic their way. And that last couple algorithms have done that because it didn't do it before, but now it has. Well, I think, you know, what you're seeing, I mean, look, kudos to Facebook for recognizing that there's a crisis right now in publishing and sort of taking advantage of the fact that they can offer a place 
you know, basically they can offer safe harbor to a lot of publishers that are scrambling right now for a business model. I mean, we talked about this last week when we talked about New York Times. You know, it basically scrambling, flailing, or experimenting is basically based on your point of view. And I happen to take the point of view that it was that it was you know New York Times was experimenting, but many others might look at it and saying they're flailing for a business model. Mm-hmm. And, and then Facebook comes along and says, "Hey, here's a way that you can actually syndicate your content, get more views, get more um, clicks, get more advertising revenue, or some sort of sponsorship revenue here." And it's a short-term play. And I, it, to me, it's, as we talked about a couple of five or six shows ago, where we said, look, this is mistaking a short-term revenue opportunity for a long-term strategy. And I think, I mean, my overall take on this was, you know, I, I, my, I, my challenge was sort of the metaphor of the idea of the pop song instead of the album versus the articles. I mean, to me, it's a different idea. I mean, so... You know what you're assuming there is is that there's val the value is the same without the context in which it sits, right? I mean, it assumes in this case that the context of an article isn't as meaningful in the New York Times, or it is you know isn't as meaningful in the New York Times, um, or as equal to in the Facebook. And I don't agree with that, right? I mean, when you when you look at what happened with music, you still get today album purists. And we we know a few of these people who basically say, really, the art form of the album was completely ruined by iTunes. And that is one thing. But you can also make an equal argument that the pop song itself wasn't, you know, the song as a unit that you – you basically can get the same value out of a single song in any context, right? Whether it's on the radio or whether you play it on a CD or whether you play it, you know, uh, in whatever context you're going to play – a news article, I think, benefits more greatly from being in the context of the greater collection of articles than it does. You know, in other words, reading a New York Times in the context of a Facebook feed, I think, is a different experience than reading that same article in the context of uh, of the collection called the New York Times. And I think there's more value there. I just, I just do. Um, I don't have nothing empirical to prove that, but it just feels better to me. And then from a strategy, if I'm the New York, at least that's what I'm going to argue if I'm the New York, if I'm the New York Times guy who's got to argue for this, that's what I'm going to be arguing for. I'm going to say, listen, it's better, you know, to view it in our context, it's much better than viewing it in Facebook's context. It's more valuable. We can charge more. Do you think that they're looking at it at, at all as a marketing play? I, you mean New York Times? Yeah, let's, so, let's, so they get so there's nine. I mean, the news is what there's nine publishers that signed right. up for this experimentation with Facebook. Is there any thought to say, hmm, I'm the New York Times, and I'm going to start to contribute some content, not all, but some content. It's going to be formed a little bit differently because it's Facebook. It's going to be a little bit more visual or different from that standpoint. And the goal is to ultimately get them to. To, to create maybe a relationship with people that don't have a relationship with the New York Times to get them to come back to us to do something on our site. Is that a possibility? I think that's entirely possible. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, it's it's likely, I'm sure. I mean, I, I'm, I'm certain that that's, that's at least been discussed, whether it was sort of the overt part of their strategy or something. They went, oh, yeah, we could do that too um, as, as part of this. I, it feels to me very much like a test, like this is like this is them trying to figure out whether or not this is a good idea or not, and I think you're right. I mean, you know, it, they, they're probably taking some level of this content and saying, you know what, 
we can we can do this for a while and see if it actually starts to take root and what the you know what the damage if any will be or the benefit if any will be it's just interesting i and at the authority event that you weren't invited to no. Uh, <laughs> um, Danny Sullivan, uh, you know, long time yeah, no, search engine optimist, yeah, really SEO guy. expert, gave a really great presentation and basically was talking about how Google, um, you know, you go to more and more searches and the answer is right in Google. Like they have started to strip out content from different sources and put it right in the page. Which is so, isn't that interesting? Like, you know, as what's the, you know, what's the zip code for Los Angeles? And you'll, you know, you'll get it. You'll get all the zip codes right in there. You don't have to go to an article to find it. You know, what's the weather going to be like today? You know, they'll give you the weather. They're not going to send you to the, you know, the weather, weather channel or something like that. So it's just interesting that they're starting to do that where, you know, it, you know, we're, we're a long way off, but you can see it where it's this Facebook versus Google environment, maybe throw an Amazon there where yeah. they, you know, you're on that platform and you're right. going to get all your stations and all your content from that platform. And that's, I think that's the rub, right? That's the challenge. And we're living in this world where, you know, even us as content marketing Institute, I mean, we have our own platform and we, and that's really the way to go. I think having that platform that you have as much control over as possible and building a subscriber relationship is, is as important as it gets right now. But when you get these big players that are starting to, in essence, pull or persuade content onto their site, it changes the rules. And for so for a brand today, you know, what is that, you know, I think at best is, is right now we can just say, you know, let's pay attention to it. But well, and I think that's a that's an important takeaway, right? That's the really important takeaway, whether you're a brand, a publisher, whatever is it is, this is all new stuff. And so experimenting here is, you know, it is certainly a good idea. And, and and trying to figure this stuff out. Nobody knows what the real ultimate, you know, what what the ultimate sort of world is going to look like. And so, you know, kudos to them for trying. And I just think I, I, I hate seeing them give up their own, you know, sort of this is the, you know, don't build your house on rented property, blah, blah, blah. We've said it a million times, but this is really where that is. It's going to be an interesting thing. Yeah. It's, so this is the first wave. And then I'm sure there'll be another one. I'm sure there's a long list of publishers that want to get on this bandwagon. Yeah, no doubt. And no see doubt. what happens. I do believe that most of them are going in and say, look, you, we can get additional revenue. That's great. But there's a marketing play here, too. We'll see how it goes. Everyone's sort of in it to see what happens. Yeah. And then we'll go from there. But this story has just begun. So it's going to be yeah. interesting. Yeah. All right. Our last story of our show this week is comes to us courtesy of vice.com which i i really like that site there's there's a lot of really good stuff on that site um and the headline is can a brand make the next Mad Men? it starts off with saying and i have to agree here um amc last night actually aired the series finale of an awesome show called Mad Men, which concluded the eight-year run um chronicling of course the advertising industry that today is either dead, dying, or at least mostly unrecognizable from the 1960s creative revolution with, the, of course, the popular Don Draper and all the people that we've known and loved over the last eight years. And I absolutely did love that show. And anyway, this article goes on to talk about while brands are still very much spending lots of money to get you to buy their products, the new hotness, as this uh, author put it, in the market game is to do advertising that isn't actually advertising, but now what being called content marketing. Um, and then they go on to interview this guy, Joe Polizzi, 
who goes on to say a few things about this, if a brand can actually make the next Mad Men. And I was fascinated with this article about how the questions came to you, and then there was sort of this weirdly backhanded compliment that would come on this other side of it. Every question was like, yeah, but here's where he's wrong. <laughs> so let me give you the chance to rebut this article um, in without, uh, you know, without the benefit or with the benefit rather of, of, of going into it the way you did. Well, I really, actually, I really do want to get your take with it. Aaron, Aaron, Aaron was great. He was, he wrote a great article. Really good. Uh, of course, yeah. he even has the disclaimer that he's wrote in a lot of content marketing himself, worked with a sure, number of yeah. companies on content. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. The, it, Every time I, you know, the way that it was positioned, every quote that I gave as you talked about is almost like, yeah, but uh, we would really like to see a world where there is full transparency. And it's almost like the it makes it sound like people that are creating content, so brands that are creating content in order to drive some profitable action are doing so backhandedly or they're trying to hide the fact so that they can trick people. That's almost, it's almost seemed like it came back to that every time. And there's this big issue in here. A couple times you brought up the fact of transparency. Right. And I don't know if that's as big of an issue anymore because the big case studies and the big examples we're talking about, like the Red Bulls of the world, like the crafts of the world, they're fully transparent. Like it's not like it was 10, 12 years ago. I remember when Procter and Gamble first came out with Homemade Simple there was a transparency issue. Like you went to that site and you weren't quite sure you were on a Procter and Gamble site. Now that's not the case anymore. I think people want to come out and say, yes, we're, you know, it's us, the brand, we're delivering this content to you. It's good. We would like that's you to think highly of, of us. That's kind of the point. Well, I think that's what, that's what everyone misses in it. And the same thing with native advertising. I think we think, oh no, we want it to feel like it's um, it's it's not advertising, but it is advertising, and we sort of want to slide one by you. And I think that's where everybody misses the point where, no, we don't. We want to come right out at you and say, this is from us, and this is different, and we're going to help you in this way. Uh, and the, and then the, the other confusion just about content marketing and native advertising, it always in a lot of these articles, it always seems to sound the same, like they're the same kind of thing, and they're, they're definitely different. I wanted to get your take because – you know, I was obviously involved in this article. So what was your take on this whole thing? Well, I, you know, I, I think it's the same old, same old where we're getting sort of this, you know, and I think there's a certain level of requirement in all of these articles to sort of take on the sort of, uh, you know, the attitude, the John, the, the John Oliver attitude of saying, you know, those darn brands, they're trying to fool us with this new thing. And it's, you know, I mean, there's sort of a little bit of a, you know, speaking of old guys, sort of the get off my yard sort of idea here um, about the new ways of marketing. But I, th I, I think exactly to your point, which is, you know, the, the, the idea of content marketing when it's done well is you're fully aware of who it is. I mean, that's the, that's kind of the whole, the kind of the whole point here. I mean, one of the things that, he says in the article is he talks about how, you know, he, he says he warns, he goes, well, Polizzi's vision of a future dotted with brand media empires could replace the entertainment and journalism we consume with insipid brand safe drivel. And I just don't we think that the market would weed that stuff out? I mean, don't we believe in our own capacity to weed that? You know, in other words, 
do we actually believe that the brands would have some force majeure that would be able to force insipid and bland and horrible material on upon us on a Sunday night? So instead of watching Mad Men, we have to watch, you know, the the crappy brand bland hour. You know, I, I, I don't, don't think. Yeah, that's the point. I don't, I don't think we give that. we don't give don't, readers enough credit. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing. It's like I I believe that the market will weed that. St- I believe the market is already weeding that stuff out. You can already see it. You know, I mean, you can even argue that it's actually a little harsh right now because when a brand tries to do something really interesting or have a distinct point of view, in many ways, it gets a backlash. We've talked about that many times on this show where a brand like Dove or somebody like that will take a strong point of view on a particular topic or Starbucks and really you know, tries to push the edge of the sandbox a little bit and will get immediate and vociferous backlash against it and it's and it's 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 a difficult thing and i think it's you know honestly i think it's a grand time to be a consumer of content in the audience because there's never been a better time for storytelling both from media companies and from brands quite frankly and i think it's never been a better time to be a marketer because the the opportunity to use content to move your position as a business forward has never been more ripe i think it's just a great time and i think we worry too much about you know the 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 transparency and the ethics and the all of that of of well, oh my gosh what will happen if if all of a sudden we're reading the red bull hour and talking about celebrities i think it's just over i think it's overwrought to be honest well this I don't know how to say the name, but the all co-founder is it Choir Sicha? I, I'm gonna I'm totally yeah, butcher, right. butchering yeah. that name, yep, but yep, basically, yep. do you buy in? Because I don't buy into this at all. That and maybe tr- historically, yes. And the, um, Sicha says a brand's big, biggest nightmare is people saying bad things about it. You know that that scene is totally totally appropriate inappropriate. Let's get that out of the script. We don't want to do that kind of information because we might get a backlash on it. I think historically. Yes, that could have been the case. I don't think that's the case anymore because I think more brands are coming out and say, this is what we stand for. This is, this is the audience we're targeting, and this is the kind of content we're going to produce. Like, So let's go back to the initial question. Would a brand create Mad Men? And I would say Lucky Strikes certainly would have. Canadian Club absolutely would have, right? Yep, I mean, absolutely. I mean <laughs> – well, Not- you can so I mean, this gets back. We had this discussion like an episode two or something, which we, where we talked about, you know, it, it, it. You've always been close to the money as a content producer. It's just how close to the money you are. You can argue that this has been around forever. You know, the Lucky Strike Hour back in the nineteen forties and fifties was a con- content produced by the sponsorship of one sponsor. In that case, it was Lucky Strike Cigarettes. I mean, and it was content that was produced. Ford did it. GM did it. Soap companies did it when they produced soap operas. This has been around forever. We never said, oh my gosh, P&G, they're the sole sponsor of soap operas. I'm, I'm worried about the transparency of knowing that they're trying to sell me soap. Yeah, of course they are. Of course they're trying to sell you soap. That's the whole point. But if you can't see through that and actually enjoy the content regardless of them trying to sell you a Lego movie. I know the Lego companies trying to sell me more bricks when I go to the Lego movie. I don't care. It's a good story. I like it. Well, even when in the conversation with Aaron was, I'm, I said we're not talking about them covering, you know, the Iraqi war. I mean, this is this is not something <laughs> right, like exactly, that. Right. I said, right. but every company, every organization, no matter what, 
has some kind of a lens that they're looking at the content through. Everyone. That's right. Now, you may say that a brand takes a certain stance versus a New York Times or a Wall Street Journal or a Fox News or MSNBC, but they all look at it differently. So don't tell me that just because a brand wants to sell more Swiffer pads that they're going to look at it completely different than somebody else. You and your Swiffer pads. You're always on the Swiffer pads. We got to get Swiffer as sort of a sponsor of this show. Those Swiffer pads, that's like the miracle towelette. (laughs) I am all about the Swiffer pad. I cannot get enough Swiffer pads. Speaking of sponsors, <laughs> let's do our let's do our wonderful spot. Let's talk about our sponsor, our Absolutely. wonderful, lovely sponsor. We're we're so delighted that this old marketing is sponsored by Connective DX. And if you're not familiar with that name, it's formerly Eyesight Design. Oh, I know Connective DX. DX. I like those guys. <laughs> Connective DX is an agency that helps organizations bring together the customer insight, design, and technology capabilities necessary to build delightful digital experiences. Did they put that in the experiences because of you, or did they have that before? I, I think they, were, just, they had that before. They had that, that was, before, that or you stole me, that no. from them. Is I, that how? Well, no, it was a collective mind. Oh, experience moment. is just yeah, something that, that was that out was, there in the that's cloud. Right. Got that's it. Right. Okay. Yeah, in the cloud. It's in, it's all, it's in, in the my cloud. cloud. Okay. That's where, yeah, that's what my son's telling me. Where'd you get that? Yeah, got it in the cloud. My cloud. What? Exactly. <laughs> um, it's offering, and this is great, because I finally had a chance to review this. This is a fantastic piece entitled Creating Connected Experiences. It outlines seven essential digital experience competencies, shares relevant data and insights on the shifting digital landscape, delivers best practices for delivering digital experiences that really, truly differentiate. Of course, helping you tell a different story is a good thing and provides tips and tools for mapping customer insight, vision, and content. You can download this fantastic piece at bit.ly slash connective dash dx dash guide that's connective dash dx dash guide or such a great such a great piece exactly or just go to this old click on the latest uh, podcast and you can get this for sure it's a really fantastic piece and seriously if you are the kind of person that likes templates and likes to figure things out and say okay here's my goals here's what i'm trying to do how do i do this this is a fantastic piece that'll get you to the next level and Thanks to the wonderful folks at Connective DX Thank for you so much. sponsoring this and giving us some great content to work with. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Thank you so much for that. All right, folks, it is time for your favorite part of the show. It is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that makes us feel like an old man saying, get off my yard, or something that gives us a little bit of love. And maybe I won't even go there with old men. That's not a good place to go. Anyway. <laughs> So uh, let's see. I you have this old marketing. I do. So you're going first. I'm going first, and this is um this is a rant and a rave. So I'll do the rave part first. I'm on Mashable.com, just you know, minding my own business, doing my own thing, and uh, see a sponsored piece of content on Mashable.com from Adobe, and it's promoting Adobe Audio white papers for marketing. And of course, I'm. Intrigued because there's the big picture of Malcolm McDowell, you know, the famous British actor. Uh, and I'm like, well, this is interesting. What's going on? So basically, the whole idea is they're promoting a series of audio versions of white papers uh, promoted by, brought to you by Adobe Marketing Cloud. That's and, cool. And it's, yeah, and it's read by Malcolm McDowell. And I <laughs> listened really to great. And I That's listened to awesome. the first half of this thing. It's like, 
It's really cool because Malcolm gets on there and it's like, who wants to listen to that dribble from regular performers? And he really gets on there, like really Shakespearean stuff. And oh, my reading. God. That's so fantastic. Isn't that something? That's, yeah. So here, that's my rave because they've got a whole series. It looks like this is a thing. They're actually doing it. They pay. Actually, they paid. Um, I found an article on Business Insider as well. They have a sponsored article, so a piece of native advertising. They're promoting it on there, so they're using real market, real advertising dollars behind this to really try to promote it. I'm like, I like this. This is interesting. This has got something to it. Here's my problem with it. Um, the white paper uh, needs. I think it needs a good editing. Um, so I, here's the here's the issue that I have. I would have done a different version for audio because sometimes the written word is not uh, as good in for the ears. Let's put it that way. So if sure. I was to do it, so my rant would be as part of this is, you know, you can keep the white paper how it is. I probably would have done maybe uh, here's the five things you're going to get out of it uh, here to get more information. I would have not have read the whole thing. It's 10 minutes long. And by the time you're two to three minutes in, right, the 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 the, the whole the <coughs> shtick is over, right? The, the, the shtick is over, whole, and I'm yeah, listening for right. it, and it's yeah, just that makes not, sense. And by and it's fine. It's it's and I guess that's the that's the issue that I had. It's fine. I think it could be so much more. I think this is a really great idea that somebody came up with, but then they took Malcolm McDowell and gave him regular stuff to read, like you yeah, read exactly. in a white paper for marketing. Yep. Yeah, take I, advantage of the medium, right? That's exactly, exactly yeah. right. And actually, Michelle Lynn, our VP of content, she we were going back and forth on it. She was saying the same thing. It's like, you know, form doesn't match function. It's like we've got to, you know, take the next step with this thing. So I love the idea, Adobe. Keep doing it. I think you're onto something. I like that you're putting dollars behind it. But you cannot just throw anything onto audio, obviously. I mean, look at us. I mean, if we were reading this, we'd both be in trouble, right? <laughs> so I think that I think it's a little bit different experience, and I would I would uh, fit your white paper for that audio experience, which is much more intimate, uh, much more folksy, uh, and not as much like a white paper would be written. That's a great point. That's a really great point. So how about you, sir? All right. Well, I have two very short raves, actually, um, and, um, and they're both just things that I, that I absolutely love. One is entirely selfish, um, and so I wanted to add a second one. The selfish one is it's really just a, a thank you um, more than anything else. It's, it, it is a rave in the purest sense. Um, so uh, Roger Parker, who you know very well sure. um, and is a friend of the show, uh, wrote a review um, of my book, and in the in the writing of that review, he I mean it was a you know it's a 450 word review where he's clear and it's a nice review so I'm you know I, I, so you know, forgive me for a minute for being a little self centered here but but so it's a it's a nice positive review but that's not my point my point is actually the level of effort that he went through in this review and then actually sent it, not only went to Amazon and posted it, but actually sent it to me as well in a nice Word document just saying, hey, listen, I wanted you to know that I reviewed your book and here it is. And the the quote that I wanted to put, you know, that, that he said that sort of just made me all, you know, gushy about it was he said, you know, Experiences the seventh era of marketing isn't a book for everybody. Its its intended readers are activists looking for something more than creating great marketing without responsibility for the customer experiences that follow. It's for those who seek influence and responsibility at every touch point during the life of the buyer seller experience for the current generation and beyond. And it's like 
that he said more elegantly in one paragraph than I've been able to sum up the book in you know in pages. <laughs> And it's just the care and the eloquence at which this was written. It's just you don't rare, you rarely get to see that. And then I just wanted to give it a big shout out. So you know, so forgive me for being a little self centered on that. But I just I just wanted to. I wanted yeah, to I never promote my bit. own stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> um, the second one was an article that came out for our friends down in Oz. Um, this was just a fun fun article that came out last week. Surf Stitch. Uh, announces the acquisition of Magic Seaweed and Stab Magazine. Now, there's a sentence you don't get to say very often. Um, and so these are uh, – so Surf Stitch is a uh, surfing company um, that makes surfboards or clothing uh, – clothing line, rather. It's a, it's a big uh, surf clothing uh, – Yeah, they're an, on- men, online, re- they're an yeah, online retailer. Exactly. They sell all kinds of stuff. For Just all kinds of stuff. Yeah. They have boss- bought basically two – Magazines, And just to the exact point we were talking about last week and we've been talking about on this show forever, here's a product company that sells online in retail and basically has acquired a magazine and two magazines to boot. And basically, the, the press release, as they announce it, they talk about how they're really the you know leading online surf forecaster. This one magazine, and the other is sort of this other lifestyle magazine, and they've they put meaningful dollars behind this. We've been talking about this forever. How we thought retailers, companies would start to buy instead of build. Uh, content properties and here it is folks in real life really 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 happening and it's just a really awesome thing and i wanted to rave about it so we'll put that link of course in the show notes so you can go see it i love how they say they are a content network and online retailer i just think that's i I just love that a content network and an online retailer. i mean how great is that i mean it's just so smart so so smart Okay. okay, well, hey. yeah, we now have a This Old Marketing, the namesake of our show, and Joe, for the first time in as many moons, has the This Old Marketing <laughs> example for yeah, us. I'm actually, what do you, yeah, what do you I'm, got? I'm doing some work here, man. I'm working yeah, for you. I mean, this come is on the, now. This is it. So, you know, I found, I was looking for some old stuff. I found a couple. I wasn't quite happy with it, and then I found this one, and I could not believe we haven't done it. And our good friend of uh, Content Marketing Institute, Scott Ottman, has been a great writer for us for a long time, really good supporter of the show. Um, he wrote an article, and I'll put it in the show notes, on the CMI site. I can't believe that I missed this whole thing. And he basically couldn't believe that he didn't get it either. This could be the oldest example that we have for content marketing. But let me see if, if, you're, if you believe this is content marketing. This is Poor right. Richard's Almanac. This is the Poor Richard's Almanac from Benjamin Franklin. So here's the whole – let me give you the whole detail. So uh, Poor Richard's Almanac was the first in-house publication that we can figure out of this whole thing. And it, it, it was a publication that advertised Ben Franklin's print house. So he began publishing this in December 28th, 1732, and went on to publish it for 25 years. It was created specifically for the purpose of promoting his printing business. And then Scott says, and get this, he did such a great job at creating um, the needed, valuable, and entertaining content for his audience that the content marketing itself became a recognized, respected, and successful piece on its own. Sound familiar, right? How popular was it? He sold as many as 10,000 copies a year, making it a bestseller of its day. So my question to you is, it sounds pretty much like content marketing, right? Correct? I, I think it's, you know, I mean, it is exactly what we would call content marketing today. 
you know, you can, I mean, you, I, you can theoretically make, there's a very blurred line here between his actual product and, you know, what he's actually making and, you know, this, but if we, the whole point being, if content marketing is really realized in its full vision that we sort of have, it looks very much like a product development process. And so, you know, where does the tail start wagging the dog? I don't know. You know, in other words, when we start looking at, you know, really successful content marketing platforms, they themselves start to have the prominence of the products themselves, right? Where, you know, we look at amazing content marketing platforms like HubSpot's Inbound and and start, you know, those kinds of things. And you start asking yourself, well, what kind of, you know, are they a media company or are they a product company or, you know, is it a product or is it marketing? We don't know. And I think this is a such a great example of that where the actual thing that they created to promote the business was itself a product uh, of the business. And it's, I think it's a great example of this old marketing. Yeah, basically goes on and says, you know, is, Ben Ben Franklin's goal with this whole thing, he published it under the name Richard Saunders, which is why it was called Poor Richard's <laughs> Almanac, which is there interesting. Is. So he said he yeah. did it under a pen name. And it says it wasn't to slip into self-promotion at all. It was to create entertaining and useful information. So yeah. I just thought it was interesting. And so I'm going to – I think we should mark this up. I love it. Well, I love the fact that it's Ben Franklin. I mean, come on. I think this is it, right? Ben Franklin there could is. have been the original creator of content. The founding marketing. father – of content marketing. The ben true Franklin. godfather of there content is. marketing there is Ben Franklin. I love it. Thank God. All right. Where are you where are you what are you you're off to Raleigh, I I'm think. off to Raleigh. Uh you know, of course you and I will get together later this week in Cleveland, but I'm off to Raleigh doing the Raleigh AMA event. I love the folks at the Triangle. They're always uh, super nice to me and I'm looking forward. I won't be there very long because it's just a quick in and out to do the presentation, but I'm looking yep. forward to that and then I'll be back. And I know you've got a couple things in Cleveland this week, right? I do. I'm flying to Cleveland tomorrow and I'm gonna go see the lovely folks at Marcus Thomas, the agency there, and I'm teaching an agency workshop on Wednesday and then I'm uh, uh, they have a bunch of clients coming in, and I'm actually teaching a masterclass workshop um, for them on Thursday, and then seeing you for cocktails on uh, Thursday night. So I'm very, very much looking forward to being in Cleveland. We're going to show week. you the Cleveland that no one ever gets to see. Uh-oh. I'm very scared. <laughs> you very should be scared. scared. Absolutely. <laughs> on that note, we will say sayonara for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And, you know, tweet us up. We'll we'll make it right for you, I swear. Just like we did uh, this show, hashtag this old marketing. And you know, if you've got a question, you can send an email this old marketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode number 79, we do hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links on everything we talk about are available at thisoldmarketing.com, and that's available on Saturday. And I do hope you're going to tune in next week when we're going to hear Joe say, He's not the first psycho to hire us, nor the last. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing.
This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.